0: Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking, doing deals. The same your grandma's Rhea, folks. No sales from the front, no guru bullshit, no smell of Gay stale coffee, and or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. RDI is also a podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done. And I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully education. If you haven't already, I need your help, folks. Um, If you haven't already, subscribe. Go to iTunes, rate me on iTunes and share this podcast with everybody. So I'm going to, I'm going to do our goals, our yearly goals every week. So we want to grow this to 5,000 weekly listeners and 1,000 subscribers in the next year. That's a tall order, folks. And I'm going to need your help to do it. All right. And I appreciate it for all those who have. Thank you. Uh, I know I've reached out most to most of you personally and the ones who I don't know and I don't have your contact information. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. If you have any comments or suggestions, go to renegadetroit.com If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. You can uh, hit me up on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And of course, youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. All right. Legal disclaimer, folks. Don't blame me. It's the way of the world. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment or investment decisions, you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't fucking sue me. All right. Time for the Renegade Joy Investor Show Quote of Week, where I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And this week's quote I pulled right from Mr. Allen's page. A closed mouth doesn't get fed. And let me introduce you to my guest, Alan Largen. Alan was born and raised in the suburbs of Detroit, and he fell in love with sports from an early age. He was encouraged by his parents to pursue his creative side. And at the age of 15, he entered a contest sponsored by Nike Future Soul. I hope I got that right. And his design won. And he ended up designing uh, Anthony Carmelo's shoe, which was a pretty big fucking deal. He attended the College of Creative Studies and graduated from the Pen I hope I said that right, School of Footwear Design. And he has worked for Under Armour, Adidas, and Nike. He's a young man. Check him out. Go to com. Hit him up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash largen, And of course, hit him up on Instagram at alanp.largen. Welcome, man.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So actually, I kind of Facebook met you from, or yeah. uh, I have another podcast, the Daily Group podcast that I mm-hmm. do with Mr. Chad Miles. Absolutely. And I saw him like something on your page on Facebook, yep. and I don't know how I saw am like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, he's my friend. I'm like, yeah. oh, you should do an introduction. So I had you as friend, and here you are. So how old are you, sir?
1: I am 21 years young.
0: Man, so young. Man, so young. Your shit's mm-hmm. together. I was a moron at 21. I still am. I still am. I was a moron at 31. Who am I kidding? (laughs) (laughs) So let's just dispense right out of the gate. How does a 15-year-old win a national, was it international or just national? National. National. So that's 300 million people potentially, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: win a national design contest by Nike. How did that happen?
1: I think most 15 year olds are scared enough or too scared to enter the contest to begin with. And so just by entering it and putting yourself out there, I think you're putting yourself above probably in the 1%. Right. So just entering it and being encouraged to do that. I entered it on a whim, not really thinking anything of it. Um, just, I've been incredibly lucky. I like to think I'm like the luckiest person on the face of the planet, but you know, everything happens for a reason. And I entered and I put myself in that position. So I guess just putting yourself in the right position um, and not being scared to put yourself out there, you'd be surprised at what can happen.
0: Yeah. So how did you hear about the uh, contest?
1: So I've always been a shoe head. My mom made the mistake when I was in fifth grade. She said, if I could made, if I made the travel a basketball team in Brighton, uh, that I could get any pair of shoes at Foot Locker that I wanted. And so I went, and then we went to 12 Oaks Mall, and I went to Foot Locker, Champs, and Finish Line in there and rotated all three stores about four or five times to oh, make man. sure I had seen every <laughs> pair of shoes. And it, it was about a two-and-a-half-hour process, and I finally picked out a pair of shoes, and from there I was I was hooked. I didn't want to wear anything else that my teammates were wearing. Kind of, It was like... You know, you have your jersey, and so everyone's kind of on the same uh, playing field in that sense. But I think your shoes are where you can kind of express yourself a little bit. And so every year after that, I would always try and find the biggest bargain, you know, because my mom wasn't going to spend $200 on shoes for me. But uh, she was going to spend $100 for me. So I was finding what was on sale. I was started scavenging, and then that led me to shoe blogs. And so finding out, like... Shoe blogs? Yeah. There's yeah that's like, a big
0: deal, right? Yeah, yeah. Soul
1: collector, sneaker news, kicks on fire, nice kicks, all of those... Um, highly recommend those. Um, it's just cool to see like what people are wearing. They have style guides. So you can kind of see like what the trends are and everything. So I found that found, found that in like seventh or eighth grade. And then, um, just one, one day I was scrolling down the site and I saw some high school kids that were at the Nike campus. And I was like, Oh my god, like they're at Willy Wonka's factory, right? <laughs> and and so I uh just clicked on it and I fi- I found that Nike was doing this design competition to find the best talent at an early age. So they were getting a lot of college applicants and they weren't happy with what they were seeing on resumes or portfolios and so they wanted to find that talent at an early age and kind of um mold it into, you know, what they would want after college. And so um found that the first year got too nervous the second year didn't enter it. And then finally got the courage the third year to enter it. Uh, I was 15. Um, and so that's how I found the contest was just, I don't know, just my obsession with shoes. Like, I'm sure there's real estate blogs that you look at. and Absolutely, yeah. You know, like, everyone kind of has their little niche. And so that's that's what I found uh, were the blogs. And that kind of led me to the contest.
0: Man, that's awesome. I wish there were blogs when I was your age. That's yeah. so like to be so obsessed with something. Mm-hmm. I still am, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's more intense when you're young. I, yeah. I think I used to be so obsessed. Yeah. So you call yourself shoe heads. Is that, that what you call it?
1: Sneaker heads, shoe heads, whatever. Yeah. sneakerhead
0: sneaker head, shoe head. Uh, uh, obviously it does involve design, right? Mm-hmm. But, but what, cause you said, what about the shoe says it allows you to express yourself? Let me give you an example, like a hat. Yeah. Or maybe a shirt, right? Most mm-hmm. people go for the shirt, right? They can mm-hmm. order a shirt from their favorite band or whoever, yeah. right? Why shoes?
1: Shoes. Um, shoes go with you everywhere. Like That's the contact between you and the ground. Everything else is kind of like, even though you sweat in a shirt or whatever... Um, the shoes, you can kind of, it's been on that journey. Right. And so like with you, with your steel toe boots, like they're a little bit more rugged and and they've been worn. So I can tell like you're kind of nitty gritty, right? You like, like doing things with your hands and like you're, you know, you like gardening and all that and growing like, and I can tell that from your shoes. Right. And before you even say anything, I know a little bit about you. And so like, that's what I love to do when I look at people. It's like, okay, what shoes are they wearing? That's a little bit of insight into like who they are. Damn. So that's, that's what I love about shoes. And also, like I mold my outfits after my shoes in the morning. So instead of picking what <laughs> shirt I want to wear, it's what pair you of shoes with I want to wear. Shoes. And then I kind of build up from there. So I'm a little bit different in that sense. Uh. Um, I'm a lot different from my friends, like even Chad. Like if I have an extra pair of shoes that maybe fit him and I haven't worn them in two years, I'll give it to him. And like he's obsessed with those. And it's just my sneaker collection's grown grown that big that I'll go in my closet and I'll look at something. And I'm like, I haven't worn that in a year, year and a half. Like it's wasting space in there. So I'll just give it to one of my friends. So it's kind of cool. Like they've gotten better sneaker collections, as like mine's gotten bigger. So that's been kind of cool as well.
0: You're like a sneaker prophet. Or yeah,
1: something, right? yeah. <laughs> I like to think of it. That's, that's a good way to put it. I haven't put it that way yet, but that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You,
0: you could you could steal that. I'm good at some of those uh, two orders, like my special yeah. thing. So I like that. So it's where you, where you contact the ground and it's always with you, mm-hmm. right? So and yeah. you did before when we were off air. One of the first things you asked me is about my boots. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's he's not making that shit up. He really yeah, did it. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, and then you can tell her scary about a lot about me by my boots. I guess yeah. they do. I mean, maybe you need a little work. And <laughs> so supposedly I'm a professional. I use that word lightly.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm good at my job, folks. I'm just not the best uh, dresser. I'm trying really hard though. So, uh, were you always obsessed with sneakers, or uh, or do you remember when? <sighs>
1: I have a very, like, obsessive personality. Like, I'm very much a perfectionist. So when I find something that I like, like, I kind of go all in on it. And I find out everything I can find out about it. And it was just something about shoes. Like, when I walked into the Nike outlet, uh, when my mom took me there when I was younger, like, just the smell of the store, everything about it was really cool. And then I love basketball. I'm a basketball nerd. And so I always liked watching basketball from like the like the tv read right so you're the tv's like 100 200 feet away from those guys and you can still kind of see the silhouette of the shoe so it it became cool when i could start to recognize those shoes from 300 feet away and so that just there was always i don't know there's always something about it like the smell of a fresh pair of shoes like when i don't know it was kind of cool like once i started caring about my shoes a little bit more like elementary middle school I became known as like that kid that would always have like the best pair of shoes so you'd like walk into school and like everyone wears like the same shorts for the most part everyone wears like the same shirts like and then you walk in with a different pair of shoes and everyone's like like oh shit like look what Alan's wearing and that became kind of cool for me and so that kind of was a little bit more of a motivation for me to do that and then you just see like the epic commercials that Nike did like Nike's an amazing marketing company and you saw like the Michael Jordan commercials growing up, you saw like the Kobe Bryant commercials, the Vince Carter commercials where those guys are like flying in the air literally. And they have these slow motion camera angles and like it's that shoe. And then to me as like that white suburban kid, that's mediocre athletic, right? Like if I get those pairs of shoes, maybe I'll jump two inches higher. And that became like, I don't know that storytelling for me. It was like, I want to be like Kobe Bryant's or uh, Vince Carter. And that's why I wanted to go buy those shoes
0: man that's cool i like i like how obsessed you you are with it um yeah. walk as best as you can remember i know it's been a few years but mm-hmm. obviously when you submitted your application the third year right first yeah. i think it's very interesting you, you you wanted to do it at 13 but didn't yeah. you wanted to do it at 14 but didn't yeah and then finally did it at 15 which is pretty badass but you, when you submitted you I, I expect. I don't know. Maybe you did. Did you expect to win? And kind of walk me through what that looked like, because I know it wasn't a a fast process.
1: Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm confident in my abilities, but at that point, I was I was 15. I really was only taking like basic art classes, and you, if I at that, that time, I was YouTubing like professionals in the industry and, like, seeing their sketches and stuff like that. So I wasn't very confident in my ability in that sense. And that's where, my like, my parents played a big role. My, my dad, um, incredibly artistic, will always be better than I am, can not draw for, like, six months, pick up a pencil, and then just be amazing, right? Um So he kind of helped me, w- like, walk through that process and kind of, like, taught me different techniques on how to shade stuff because I did it all by hand. A lot of stuff that I do now is digital, but I did it all by hand. And um so, yeah, I just... Uh, at that time, Dwayne Wade had just signed with Air Jordan. He had switched over from Converse and I, I loved Dwayne Wade. Um, and so I was like, I'll design kind of what his shoe would look like now that he's with Jordan. So I just wanted to do that and kind of molded it after like a shoe that I would picture myself wearing. So that was always kind of cool. Like, oh, I, I would want to wear this. And there was, you know, there's times where you look at something and you're not completely pleased with it. So there were a lot of shoes in the industry that I kind of liked, but I didn't. And it was like, I want to design something that I would wear. So I want to fix what's wrong out in the industry. So like, let's, let me design like the most badass sneaker I can design. And so I, I tried, I look back at that shoe now and I'm like, that's fucking horrible. It's (laughs) like really bad. Um, but you know, it was, it was, it did what it needed to. And, um, so I submitted it and then they have, they had about a six week, um, because they they received about like eleven thousand applicants.
0: Holy shit! There are a lot yeah, of sneaker yeah. people, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's
1: a lot of kids that want to do it for such a small industry, um, and so just waited six weeks, and I almost like forgot about it. You know, like you're you're a kid, like you're playing like yeah.
0: Six weeks at that age is forever. It is it's like summer is like whoa, yeah. I'm never going to school again. Yeah, you
1: are know? trying to stay up until like two a.m. playing video games. You have basketball practice, soccer practice, and like you almost forget about it, um, and then. Uh, at that age, no one's emailing you. So yeah, I, I actually had to make an email for that. I had never made an email before, so I made an email for it. And, um, then like a message popped up in my inbox and I was like, wait, I have mail. And it was letting me know that I was a finalist for the competition. Um, and so that was, I don't know. I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God. So I yeah pulled out cause I didn't have a cell phone at that age either. So, you know, go to the landline, like our house phone that we don't have anymore. I started calling my friends, you know, like putting people on hold, all this and that, you know, and (laughs) we're all flipping out. And we all live like literally 30 seconds away from each other. So we all like came to each other's houses and stuff like that. It was like, it was a really cool moment. Holy
0: shit. So now that you're a finalist, what? how many finalists were there?
1: So um, they did six. Okay, so I was a semifinalist. So they did. Then they went to the semifinalist round, and so they did six semifinalists, and then from there it went to an online vote. Um, and so there were some kids that were just gonna hope that people went on the site and liked their stuff. And I was like, no. Like my dad is my dad's a salesman, and my dad was like, you gotta sell. You gotta sell that. Like yeah. that's part of your responsibility. So I went on like Facebook at that time was like was the only thing like Twitter. I don't even know if people were using Twitter. Instagram wasn't a thing. So just went to Facebook, made a page for it, sent it to everyone. Um, my mom was sending it to like third cousins in California. Um, <laughs> it's and
0: time then, to represent third cousin in California. Yeah, we yeah. need your vote. <laughs>
1: exactly. And then they're like, Oh my God. So it sparked a, convers- a conversation between them and then they took it to their, like, you know, you have people like, then they're sending around their company email and then quickly like just the votes start piling up and but they don't show they didn't show on the site how many votes you had what
0: yeah so So you had no clue no i had no
1: clue so i'm just sitting there and one of the 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 kid that i ended up going against in the finals because they went from there to then two finalists um he and a couple of his classmates, they went to this, uh, there's a school called Dash Design and Architecture Senior High in Miami. So it's a complete visual art school. Like they teach design, graphic design, transportation design, all that there. And so these kids, is like 18 year olds are like prepared to just go into the industry. And so I saw like three or four of them that I was going up against. And I was like, Holy shit. Oh, no. Like yeah. the only, the only art classes we get at like public schools are like, Hey, here's like finger painting and you can make a couple pots. Like, and it's like, that's all you get. You don't learn. My art do-
0: teacher was a pot smoking teacher. Couldn't kind of keep her life <laughs> yeah. together. Yeah. we didn't get the best art teacher. Maybe that's why I'm so bad uh, at it. But
1: exactly. I mean, and they, they didn't know anything about shoe design. So they were kind of just like, yeah, do your thing. And they could only critique it for what they, th- like what they knew, which was very little. And, um, so I saw the competition and immediately I got imit- intimidated. And that's where like your parents come in again and they like reassure you, like you can only do so much. And now it's in everyone else's hands. Um, and then I think it was like two or three weeks later. Um, I think it's been, it's been a while, but they announced the two finalists and we had actually set a record for the voting, uh, in the competition. Um, Scott, who I went up against has a, comes from a Latino family in Miami. And I guess he's, his family is huge, right? And they so he just like sent it out, and all of his family members voted. So we kind of did a we had a very similar strategy. And I think maybe I didn't have the best design, but I had the best marketing approach to it as a 15 year old. And that was just grassroots, and that was hitting Facebook and getting people annoying the hell out of people. Made a video. I was you know, going to my basketball open gyms at that time for high school and soccer practices in the summer that were workouts. And it was like telling those people, telling my coaches and that was cool as like an icebreaker for like a sophomore trying to get or going into my sophomore year, trying to um, impress a lot of the varsity coaches and everything like that. So that was a good icebreaker. So I don't know, it was like really cool.
0: Dude, that was, that was really cool. I, yeah. How did they determine the winner?
1: So from there, we had 30 days to design a whole new shoe.
0: They made you do it again. Yes. Yeah, so oh, man, they're ruthless. Huh? They're yeah. like, I'm getting as many designs out of these kids as possible.
1: Yeah, so they, they gave us the same brief, and that was to design the next all-star shoe for Carmelo Anthony. And at that time, he was playing for the Denver Nuggets. So they, um, And they assigned us a mentor from Nike. So my mentor uh, was at Nike at the time, Dennis Dekovich, and um, amazing designer, amazing teacher. And we communicated just through email. <laughs> But that's the most I've ever learned in a 30day span. we did it just through email it was like pretty amazing. I knew nothing about design um, and so he really taught me like the process that I still use today like and I can morph that process and change it for different projects but the baseline the foundation is still the same so it was uh, just research at the very beginning so just found out as much as I could about Carmelo. Um, you know just watched as many videos went and watched highlight tapes of him what were his tendencies in the game not even watching what his moves were but like when a timeout was called like what were his body gestures like how do you look at that you got to analyze everything to find out as much as you can about this person found out he owned like an indycar team at one time he was trying to get into the movie industry at another time uh found out about like his wife um he had a kid at just one kid at the time, now he's got two. And so just like really, really researched. And then from there, it was like refine everything. So you take that information and then you kind of just pillow it down to kind of like what your storytelling is going to be. And then from there, you you sketch and ideate. And so like I think a lot of times people kind of screw themselves over in the process of they they get a brief and then they start sketching right away before they do any research. And so they get attached to an idea. And I think like in different industries, it can, that same process can be applied of like people getting ahead of themselves and, you know, not just slowing down. It's like, if you have 30 days to do something, like take that 30 days to, to develop it and don't rush it. And I know like people get very excited about stuff and that was a big learning curve for me. Um, and so I actually came up with like a final design, like 10 days before I needed to present. And Dennis was like, this is too predictable. You need to start over damn and i was like 15 shut you down and i like you know just being like the little pussy fifth grade or 15 year old that i was like started crying went to my mom and she was like you're serious is the opportunity that you have and like you're just gonna mope around
0: yeah those 15 year old hormones are fucking terrible yeah exactly my voice is
1: cracking i'm trying to like whine about it and it just (laughs) it wasn't i don't know it wasn't what i expected but like nothing nothing that good is you know earned that easy and so um restarted and like really pushed myself, like was staying up late doing it. Wasn't doing anything like went into MIA mode for my friends, like took over. My mom has pictures of it. We, I took over our dining room and like took off like the tabletop and then just like sketched and like had food in there from like five (laughs) days ago. It was like ridiculous. I made it like my little design cave and my mom loves that picture because like that was when I really became a designer at that moment. And, um, and so at the end of the 30 days, we got flown out to Nike in Portland, Oregon. Uh, they're based in Beaverton, but we were staying in Portland. And they gave us like a five-star hotel and everything. It was a three-day trip. It was super cool. We got to go to the Nike employee store where everything's half off. And so we got gift cards. And so I got a $500 gift card. Oh, yeah. And so oh, it's like yeah. $1,000 worth of stuff. And you have to fit that in your and your luggage to go back
0: i will find a way
1: Yes. Yeah, some kids <laughs> uh some of the people that were out there they bought like additional luggage bags to fit everything else yeah. so they were spending like a hundred dollars on a bag just to fit more shit in it um but it was really cool um learn like i didn't have business cards didn't have a resume and i learned that i needed to have that even though i was 15 like i needed like i learned that you are your own brand so no matter what company you work for you are your own brand like that brand like the company you're working for is buying into you for your abilities. You know, you're not just going to that company for their abilities. And I really, really learned that um, at an early age, and which was good. Um, and so I got to meet with, like, top executives of Jordan, uh, Nike, the top designers, and network with them. And, like, they're still some of my closest mentors to this day. Um, big mentor of mine is the guy who actually ran the competition was Dwayne Edwards. And so he was the creative director of Jordan at the time. So it was really cool to, like get a tour from him, see, the, see the designs that were coming out in two years. And then the last day we had to present. So we, you know, uh, there's this auditorium at Nike called the Tiger Woods auditorium and it seats like a couple hundred people. So we got to go up on stage with our boards. Um, present to, like I said, a judge panel of like the Nike executives, Jordan executives, the top designers, top bloggers in the industry. So it was like, you weren't just selling it to a designer. You were selling it to like a business minded person as well, which is like completely different. And then also a blogger who's just like the consumer. So you had all three people sitting there and you had to please them with your presentation. And we didn't know who we were presenting to before we got there. So that was kind of crazy. Savage. They kept that card in their pocket, right? But it was a great learning experience for me. And I got up there. Don't remember anything about the presentation blacked out. Like <laughs> there's a video of it. Um, I have it on my website and, but you know, I could just tell how nervous I was, but I got my message across. No, you I did good.
0: You did good. Yeah.
1: Thank you. And, um, so at the end of it, they picked me as the winner. Um, and then from there it gets even crazier. Um, so I designed the shoe for Carmelo and put some storytelling things in there from while, while, yeah,
0: was break on. that down. Cause I watched that video. That's, yeah. This is the part that impressed me was just how detail oriented you were. It's mm-hmm. like you became him for some period of time you have to. and then made his shoe. Yeah. Is kind of the best way to describe yeah.
1: it. It's, it's the tough thing as the designer cause you have to wear multiple hats. So you have to be able to like please the business person, please the consumer. And then if you're designing for a specific athlete, you have to, please that athlete and especially a Jordan product like Jordans are such lifestyle shoes and they carry such a strong legacy you have to please those people that have been with the brand since like 1985 um but so Carmelo to me is just like this amazing athlete he's 6'9 245 but can jump and do all that, like people that you know, like in your lives that are like six, nine are probably like, you know, the most uncoordinated people you've ever met in your life. They're not running or anything. Not athletic like him. This dude is a beast and, you know, can shoot the ball from 30 feet out, but can also dunk it on you, play defense, dives on the floor, super passionate. Um, and so that was, I need really needed to tune up their performance. And what I noticed was at the time he owned an IndyCar team and it was like, I need to make this shoe a cockpit. Like he's the IndyCar driver, you know, he's going around these corner. He's, he's banking. He's, you know, doing sudden movements. He's going full head of steam, but then he needs to break in the, like, you know, while he's getting the tires changed, right? Like during a timeout. And so that's what I, what I thought of. And then also, um, he was kind of ascending towards, towards his prime in the league. And then on the shoe, I kind of made, um, I took Nike's flywire technology. So flywire, um, comes down from your laces and it's like cables. So at the time before that shoes had to be like layers, layers and layers. Um, and what Nike looked at was like suspension bridges, like the golden gate and everything. And it's like, you don't need a bunch of material. You just need cables that do this, do the same support. So taking those cables from the laces down to the sole, kind of wrapping around your foot. And it was like, they had developed kind of this conventional pattern that they were kind of repeating and no one was really designing that pattern. So I decided to make the shoe kind of um, a little hint to like a rising sun. And so Mello at the time was like starting to break these records was starting to come into his own, develop like this hall of fame, you know, resume. And so he was kind of this rising star and like the legacy of the league or this rising sun. So I kind of, you know, made that pattern while also carbon fiber had never been used on the upper part of the shoe. It had been used in the bottom as like a shank. Um, but Indy cars are made out of carbon fiber and they kind of like, you know, wrap around you and you're like stuck in there and you like, you feel really secure. So I decided to just make a, like a really good ankle support system for them out of carbon fiber, super lightweight, still a little flexible, bends where you need it. And that had never been done on a shoe before. And I think that's what people really liked. Um, cause Dennis told me, my mentor, while I was going through it, um, you can't like make the shoe a clusterfuck. Like yeah. you need to give one identifiable part, like, like, so when you look at shoes, when you walk up to it in the store, right, you get the, the window view. So you're like 25 feet away, you're coming up the escalators and you kind of see the shoe. So you have to have a striking visual from that far away. And then you have to have layers of details. So as you walk closer, Oh, I noticed this. And as you walk a little bit closer, Oh, there's that. And then once you pick it up, like the textures and everything, so that ankle part was the hero of my shoe. And then from there, the fly wire was kind of the secondary hit that you noticed when you got up there and then you could feel it. Um, and so the hero of my shoe really resonated with people pretty well while I presented it. And luckily enough, I was chosen as the winner. Um, so that was pretty nuts. And then from there I had, I got to meet him. That was in August of 2010, so then in November of 2010, a couple of months later, they flew me out to Denver while he was still with the Nuggets before he got traded to the Knicks. And, uh, I got to meet to him, meet him.
0: That's yeah, badass, dude.
1: And then present that to him. So that was like the easy presentation was over in, in August. I needed to now sell the athlete on it. And so that's what I mean by high level clientele. And so you can't come in guns blazing. You have to kind of adjust. So he, he's a very. Mellow guy, you know, his name is his nickname's Mellow, and it's like his name, but he's actually very mellow as a guy, so he's very chill. So I needed I kind of recognized, okay, he's actually a really down to earth guy. I don't need to like put a bunch of energy into this, I just need to make it super relatable. Um, and it was really easy because like we were in the Nuggets practice facility, I like on the gym floor, and like that's a very familiar environment for me, so I felt very comfortable. And obviously, like the dude spends. Five hours, life there yeah, right? in the gym. Yeah. Right, he probably spent the night there a couple times. You know, <laughs> so, more than once. Yeah, and so it was a very comfortable environment for both of us. So we we both felt you know like in our in our element, I guess you could say. And um, so that was really nice being able to present him the idea. Kind of when I'm trying to story to sell, story tell, storytelling, kind of tell his story to other people, it can be a little bit confusing. But when I'm presenting to him directly, and like, oh, like, do you remember this moment when you were? You know, 23 in the league, right? And then you like this moment, like that's what inspired this. And like that makes him laugh a little bit, right? And like there's like the icebreakers to throw that in there. Um, he saw that I played basketball, so like we kind of talked basketball before we even talked about the shoes. So like we became a little bit more familiar with each other,
0: build a little rapport.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so like even with real estate, right? You're not going to come in right away and slap down no. like, the piece of paper. Like you got to get to know yeah, them. Absolutely. And like, you know, you, the situation need, you need this yeah. fourth bedroom because like, look at you. Like there's sparks flying between you guys. Like your family's going to expand. Right. That's and, like, awesome. You need that fourth bedroom. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> do you need a part time job yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe a full time job
1: so like you get to know them and you get to sell them on like that story of like why that's going to be great for them and so I had to explain to him why the shoe would be great for him and so but then there's also the business side that comes in so there was a target price we needed a certain margin on the shoe i knew nothing about that and that wasn't given to me while i was designing it they wanted me to design my blue sky project per se for it and then from there we would pull back so it needed a target price and needed to be out to market in like six or seven months. So, um, we ended up pulling some stuff from the shoe and that's where kind of the final design came from, which was another big learning curve for me. Like, just, oh, yeah, that's a
0: little hard, isn't it? Yeah. Your yeah. finished
1: product is like in your eyes is never finished. So there's always stuff that needs to be compromised. You need to learn like where to pick your battles, where to kind of steer people to get certain things still in the shoe. Um, and that was a big learning curve for me at 15 as well. So, um, you know, but then later in March in 2011, he ended up wearing the shoe at the Palace of Auburn Hills against the Detroit Pistons. I got to go see the shoes. He had the worst game of his career at that point in my shoe. No, no. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was, God, they were playing the Pistons when they had, still had Charlie Villanueva and like Ben Gordon, right? Like the two worst signings in like franchise history. And they actually had like their best games as Pistons against him. Like my luck, right? Um, I show up and he scores six points in the first half, doesn't score in the second half. But it was still an amazing moment for me. Um, And his alma mater, he went to Syracuse for a year where he won a national championship in college. They wore it. Uh, for the opening night of March Madness for the NCAA tournament. And so that was like a really cool thing for me, like being able to follow both of those games at once. Like I'm just such a basketball nerd. So I don't know, it was a pretty amazing moment, even though he had a shitty game. Um, but it was, he really appreciated the shoe. Um, and there was one detail that I was like really, really proud of um, in the shoe. And that was his sister had passed away in December. So after I met him in November, his sister passed away and he was really, really close to her. And so I... The shoe design was finalized. It was getting ready to send, like, send it over to the factory, Start getting prototypes of it. And uh, I called up the guys at Jordan, and I was like, we need to pay tribute to her somehow. Um, and so we came up with a, a little design that's on the medial side of the shoe, so the inside part, um, that says Shelly. Her name was Michelle. He called her Shelly, and it's in the shape of an infinity symbol. So she lives on forever through that shoe. And he didn't know it was going to be on the shoe. So he surprised got
0: Surprised him, yeah. He
1: got it the night of that game. And he had just come back. Like, he took a couple weeks off the season uh, to, like, take care of her kids, get everything, like, you know, get his mind right. And I think he was just then getting back in a good place from it, uh, getting over the grieving process. And then he saw that detail in the shoe, and it hit him pretty hard in the locker room. And so um, that's stuff you can't control. But because of that, he loved the shoe. He didn't even care how he played that night. It's funny. I went home, and SportsCenter was on and Mello, like totally skipped the press conference, wasn't talking to reporters or anything like that, and people were like, "chemistry issues in the Knicks locker room," you know, <laughs> blowing blown it way out of proportion. They had no idea it had any like it had anything to do with the shoe, um, but it was a really special moment. And then he actually autographed the shoe, wrote me a little note, and sent them to me. Oh my! So God. I had the game worn pair, um, and that was. You know, a pretty amazing fucking cool thing to do for you. right? Yeah, exactly. That guy's cool. Yeah. You know, not all athletes are, you know, douchebags. No,
0: I bet most of them are probably pretty decent people. right?
1: Exactly. So that was like a really cool opportunity. And like that contest still, you know, every now and then pops up with like a certain moment or something like that or like a connection for me. So it's still the gift that keeps on giving, which has been really, really cool.
0: Man, that's awesome. So guys, you need to go Alan Largen and see that actually, even for me, I'm not much of a designer style. It's kind of a badass looking shoe, dude. Thank you. It looks good. Thank it you. Just, it just looks good. I Thank don't you. know. So go, go check it out. It's going to make more sense what he's talking about too. Cause what he's talking about it makes sense to me. Cause I looked at it. Yep. So go pull it up if you haven't already, you probably already have it. It's going to be in the show notes, uh, as well, folks. So mm-hmm. now obviously when you're going through this whole process, not everything worked out, right? Yeah. Right. So what was the lowest point for you? When you're like, oh, it's so I'm just doomed. I'm just uh, whatever and never going to win. Or was, what was the lowest
1: moment? So two, so when Dennis told me to restart my design with 10 days left, I was like, should I even fly out there? Like I'm thinking like before I actually pulled the design together, I'm not going to have anything to show. Like am I, it's not going to be finished. I knew who I was going up against. And so that was a pretty low moment. Um, but it was a very much a character builder for me. Um, growing up playing sports, I've never been the best on my team. I've always been the sixth man on the bench. Even growing up, I was like, if we had a 10 man team, I was the 10th guy in like fifth grade. Um, and I realized it wasn't my skill that was going to get me play time. Um, but it was my attitude. So I'd always been coached to be the first one off the bench, encouraging people. And so I've been very resilient through that and like just transferred that mentality over to design. And so like that was a big like ego check for me through the contest. Cause like also I just come off of making the semifinalist and like all my friends are like talking me up, like, you know, and you just kind of you know, you're fifteen. Yeah. Like, you, you have an ego, like you're already Oh like, hell yeah. Think think you're a badass at fifteen and that was a big ego check. You know, yeah. just that one email. Like start over, period, Dennis, like have a good day. <laughs> and so that was
0: Your life is over. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. And then also, um, So the shoe was supposed to come out in like March when he wore it, but um, with him getting traded, so he got traded right after I met him uh, in the middle of the season. So he went to New York. So there were certain colorways that they had planned in materials that had they had ordered based on those colorways. Then they had to scratch that because they were like Denver Nugget, like baby blue colorways, and he was going to the Knicks where it was like orange and all of that. And so uh, they needed to. That delayed it coming out. So I was getting very excited for it to come out. I wanted a pair. I wanted to wear them. And they actually didn't end up coming out until August of 2011, so a full year after the contest, which was kind of late. Um, But, you know, that was short-lived because when I saw the shoe in store and I was able to go see it and pick it up um, while I was wearing it on my feet, that was a really, really cool feeling. Seeing, like, other kids try it on and want it, that was really cool. So, I mean, there were low moments, but I think they were very short-lived, you know.
0: They generally tend to be. Yeah. So, um, do you know how successful the shoe was, or anything like that? Or
1: it's sold out in two and a half, three weeks. Damn. And then f- there's a big um, sneaker reselling market. Yeah, huge on, on eBay. Explain
0: um, that to people who are listening, because yeah, the, I found out through going to your site and Google and around all that, but not yeah. all of us are sneaker heads, right? Yeah. So,
1: so the reason you see. Like, even here in Burn, uh, Burn Rubber in Royal Oak, right by the Detroit Zoo, um, a big sneaker boutique in, in the state of Michigan, there's a reason why kids camp out at, you know, Friday night, going into Saturday morning, bring out their lawn chairs, maybe their two, three days for a pair of shoes. It's not because they want to wear them, it's because they're going to buy that shoe, buy maybe two pairs of it at $150 or whatever, and then sell it for $800, $900. Um, and so it's actually pretty cool. Our own guy, Dan Gilbert, in Detroit. Um, his son is a big, big sneakerhead, AJ. And so he notices his son was uh, camping out for shoes. And his, because um, his son would want to buy the shoe for $800. And Dan's like, not like that. With no, his kids. you got to get it for 150 He's like, yeah, you're gonna, if you want it, I'll get, like you can have the 150 for it, but you're not paying $800 for it. You a pair go of stand Jordan's. in line like
0: everybody else. Yeah. Right?
1: And so. He, he was like, then Dan started thinking, he's like, wait, who controls these prices? Like, so, and AJ was like, well, it's just kind of a standard on eBay. You see what people are starting to list it as. And like, that's what you list it. And so Dan, uh, you guys should check it out. It's called stock X and, um, it's this website and there's also an app for it. And so it's the sneaker stock market. So it lets you, it actually has like a stock reader on it. So it'll be like the air Jordan 11 and it'll let you know if the prices are up or down for the day. Um, it'll let you know by size, because certain sizes are harder to get than others. So like a size thirteen, there's less pairs of those because less people wear that. So that shoe's gonna be a little bit more expensive at a size thirteen because there's less of them.
0: Damn, this is serious
1: business. Yeah, and it's crazy. There's people that literally do nothing else but resell shoes. And it's it's a pretty insane shoe flippers. Yes, exactly. It's yeah yeah, house flipping but in the sneaker market. And so if you can buy it, like think about like your profit margin on that. You're buying something for $150 and selling it maybe for a grand. That's a big profit margin. Hell yeah. And so um, the reason those kids are camping out and getting mugged for shoes is not because they want to wear them. It's because they're going to sell them. Um, So you see like kind of like the stuff on the news every now and then of like kids getting mugged or killed for their shoes, unfortunately. Like that's just something as in the industry you can't control. Um, But those kids are getting mugged and killed or camping out because they're going to flip it. And so there's, it's pretty crazy. There's like 13 year old kids. Now, if you go on the, like on the internet that are walking around at like sneaker um, cons and stuff like that, where there's just like tables set up where just a trading platform for shoes and they're walking in, like getting driven by their moms to that. And they walk <laughs> in with like two grand, three grands or worth of cash and they're flipping shoes there. And it's like, they're 13 year, 13 years old. And it's pretty cool because it's teaching kids how to be entrepreneurs in their Absolutely, own Absolutely, right? So Supply,
0: it's actually, demand, that kind yeah. of thing.
1: So it was pretty cool to see my shoe get involved in that. It was on eBay for about $400, $500. So it was a $130 shoe, and people were flipping it for that much. So that was pretty cool. Um, and it sold out within two and a half, three weeks. So it was pretty sweet.
0: It's a good marketing strategy on Nike's part to make Absolutely. such a limited supply yeah. and just get everybody foaming mm-hmm. at the mouth. They could be greedy and try and sell it for more, but yep. no, just, yeah. just get in and out fast. So, Absolutely. so yeah. that stock X, is that, um, that's just basically a place for people to go who are really interested in the sneakers, right? And they can see, Absolutely. did, um, Dan Gilbert or who, who put that together? Is that uh-
1: Dan completely? So he has a, he has a team that sits with him at quick end. So it's kind of his creative team. So when he comes up with an idea, Goes to that team and they develop it. They just do it. Yeah, and so they developed it in under like six months, up and running. And the I think the coolest part for me about it is um, Dan noticed all the violence within sneaker trading. So there's like Facebook pages to where it's like, hey, you want to meet up, trade shoes, whatever. Or I'll come get this from you. So obviously that's a recipe for disaster because yeah. sh- someone shows up with eight hundred dollars worth of cash, they're gonna get mugged. And that person's gonna keep the pair of shoes, or people. There's a huge. Um, fake sneaker market
0: i was going to say like cuban cigars right yeah. anything like that there's going to be a knockoff
1: if there's about a two billion dollar industry and customs actually like that's one of their biggest things they look for when you're traveling from about like somewhere in asia or europe uh coming back to the us is fake sneakers um and so the so if you're paying 800 and these knockoffs are becoming like ridiculous now just like with electronics you can't even really tell the difference um so dan has hired on two authenticators at StockX that sit with them down in downtown Detroit. And so, um, instead of me meeting up with you to trade these shoes, I, um, I listed on StockX, StockX, StockX lists it, doesn't list my name or anything, and then you go and buy it. And so I have to send it to StockX. They check the box, make sure everything's like stock, like never been worn. Dude, that's that.
0: awesome. What a great idea. Yeah.
1: And so you know exactly what you're getting when you buy it. And what's cool is, um, as a as a seller though, like a lot of these people on eBay have built up a reputation, right? And so it kind of takes away the reputation. But you're able to build a profile on StockX that will then lead to like incentives for you. So like if StockX realizes that you're selling five percent of their inventory total, which is a big chunk for them, um, they, they give you incentives as a seller. So mm-hmm. there's like rewards for that, and you can actually see like what shoes are selling the best for you. So if it's Adidas right now for three months, you can go buy more adidas you know right? where
0: to go and get some exactly. more yeah so it really encourages that
1: yeah so it's actually pretty cool because there's been nothing like it so just like how dan is now controlling all of detroit he might be able to control the rest of the sneaker industry the sneaker now Sneaker market is his now too yeah so or it's, the secondary sneaker yeah, market anyway pretty cool <laughs> that's awesome how, what
0: what percentage of these sneakers do you think are sold on the on the second secondary market
1: um i think it's a small amount a lot of it's more like the hype like, uh, lower volume shoes. Um, so it's not like the shoes that you can just go buy at the mall. A lot of the time it's like these shoes are gone within an hour at the mall when they get put up. So it's, it's a, I would probably say out of like, if we're talking just basketball and running shoes, I would probably say it's like five to 10% that are going to be resold. Um, and that's just because like, they're like the colorway that everyone wants, or it's that one model that, there's only going to be 10,000 pairs made. So it's a very small percentage because when these companies do like their big sneaker runs. So if it's like their big money maker for the year, they're going to do like a million pairs of it or 500,000 pairs. The stuff that people want is the super limited stuff. That's like five to 10,000 pairs.
0: Yeah. I see keep the inventory really low. Yep.
1: That way they can drive
0: up demand, absolutely. man. That's absolutely. cool. At stock X, do they do like any sort of, since they have authenticators, they do like a guarantee where like, if- absolutely. That's a fucking great model. Yep. Yeah. The, who's going to compete with that?
1: No, no one. Yeah, is. that just no destroys
0: every. you know? So if they get it wrong, you get your money back. Yep. Right? That's what a great idea. Yeah. When did they put this together?
1: In the last year. Uh, I think it went live about five or six months ago. And the idea was thought of late last year, early this year. So they were super quick in getting it up and running. Um, But it's a phenomenal platform that I think has like, Exponential growth to it.
0: Absolutely. Cool. I wonder what other crazy industries that that could be applied to. I'm just thinking of like the, this may be before your time, like the Beanie, Beanie uh, Baby craze. Yep. Or the first time when they re rele when they read uh, the new episode of Star Wars that everybody hates. Yeah. And they came out with the action figures. There was like a run up on that. Not yeah. so much anymore. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. what else it could be applied to.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think once you get, like, they could easily transition into clothing, super limited clothing that people want, all of that. Um, so, it could be applied to anything. Yeah.
0: And that's crazy, yeah. dude. That's crazy. So, okay, man, what an awesome experience. Um, what do you think was the most important thing you learned going through, um, that process? Right. Cause I, I know you learned a lot, but mm-hmm. if there was maybe one or two things that you learned, you know,
1: I think the foundation of design that I talked about, because I can apply it to anything. So whether it's business thinking or anything, it just taught me how to be a, a problem solver, identify that problem, <laughs> uh, how to fix it, ideate around it. Um, and then, you know, not just coming up with one solution, but multiple solutions, what solution is best for that. And then how to tell that story and sell it. So whether it's, if I want to go into business later, it's like, okay, where's the hole in the market? Like, what are people not doing? Identify that problem. All right. Start brainstorming, come up with five or six solutions for that. Okay. People need this. Right. And I think this is the best one for it. And then how do I sell that to people? How do I brand it? How do I market it? Um, whether it's design, like I said, or business, I think I've been able to apply that to like anything that I do with day in and day out. And that's been super useful for me that it's, I'm not, it's not just a pigeonholed, you know, one-off skill. It's a whole mindset and how I identify problems day by day.
0: Mm, That's pretty sweet. Um, I see here, um, pencil school of footwear design. First of all, I had no idea which actually is pretty fucking cool. There's a school just for footwear design. I had just no clue, right? I'm living in this little bubble. Yeah. Um, how would you turn on to that? And what was that like?
1: So Dwayne Edwards, who started the Nike future soul contest, um, he was the one that was kind of, he was getting applicants out of college for internships and jobs. And he was like, these portfolios are whack. Like, I don't like this. This isn't what I want. Um, And so Dwayne has a pretty crazy story. He uh, grew up in Inglewood, California, so like the ghetto of Compton. Yeah, that's
0: that's not good. Yeah, Yeah,
1: and so um, single mom, like it's a pretty amazing story that he just made it out of it. Like he says he was supposed to be a wrong statistic, like the statistics that we look at and we get, you know, disappointed by. And uh, so he just, he grinded. And so he in school, kind of like me, was a sneakerhead. Um, His friends, they didn't have the money to spend on big shoes, so then – his friends would buy maybe shoes that could get in a different color that didn't match their school. And he would paint them, you know, (laughs) to match the, match the team. I like that. So that sort of, and then also with the ability that he could draw anything that he wanted, kind of combine those two. Um, and was, I think 18 or 19 at the time saw a small little newspaper clipping for a Reebok shoe design competition. So just like how I found my competition in the blogs, he found that in a newspaper clipping that was, I think he said, a quarter inch by a quarter inch. It's probably the smallest print for that newspaper that week. Found it and at 19 submitted a design and won the competition. Um, and he beat industry professionals, kids that were in college that were trying to get jobs. And so Reebok was like, well, you need a degree like, for us to hire you. So it ended up not really doing anything for him. Um, but that
0: seems really short-sighted. I bet yeah. they fucking regret that
1: absolutely absolutely.
0: not that they're ever going to listen to this but regret
1: (laughs) yeah and so uh he didn't have the money he didn't know anything about like design school or anything like that and so it you know none of his friends around him were going to you know even college at that point so um was working at mcdonald's at the time i think and saw a job opening at la gear um that was like the brand for everyone back in the 80s i remember yeah the sweatsuits everything Um, and so he got a job there just, uh, filing paper and cabinets and was like, I'm going to work my way up from here. And so he had a pretty amazing story of, uh, there was a suggestions box at the entrance of the building. So any employee could put something in there. And a lot of people never did anything with that. And so Dwayne would walk and see what LA gear was putting out. And he would be like, that's a bad shoe. And he would correct it. And so he'd be like, and then would put on there, this is what it should look like. And would put it in the suggestions box, and no one ever checked it. And eventually, like he didn't have any room to put it in there, and the paper was overflowing out of it. And um, why am I
0: not surprised? Well, they even have the fucking suggestion box. Exactly. This is a place to put all your dreams so they die. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) And uh, whether it was napkins or anything, he drew on anything and put it in there. And the secretary found it and like dumped it out. And she was like, "Oh my god!" So she showed the CEO of the company. Um, and so the CEO was like, oh my God, who is this? Went downstairs to like the base floor, found Dwayne and was like, do you want a job as a, as a shoe designer? And this was when he was 19. So proved all the people wrong that told me he needed to go to design school. Um, and so just started working there. Um, and then that owner turns out to be the owner of Skechers. And so, um, brought Dwayne with him to Skechers and then There was a brand, streetwear brand called Carl Canai Footwear for a little bit that like Tupac and BIG wore. And so he was, Dwayne did that for a little bit um, and was doing streetwear stuff and got a call from Nike um, at the time. And Nike was like, hey, we're trying to take out Timberland and um, Skechers in the boot business. We want you to come up here. We're going to start making boots. And so he went up there, uh, took the job, and um, then he was, Sitting right below the floor of the of the team that was at Jordan. The Jordan team at that point was really, really small. And uh, they weren't looking to hire anyone. But what he would do was, like like he always did, was take a nap <laughs> in. He was and like, this, this shoe sucks. Yeah. This is what it should have looked like. <laughs> and would paste it on the designer's flo- uh, desk every, every day and was up there constantly. Because that's where he wanted to get. That was his dream job. He grew up idolizing Michael Jordan and uh, wanted to get there. And so uh, ended up getting a job there worked his way up to creative director and took their business from, I think a $300,000 business or something, or $3 million business to like $3 billion. So it's just pretty crazy yeah, um, as, as so. a business. And so as a kid with a guy with no, you know, college degree, any of that stuff. So Dwayne, when he got to Jordan, he was like, Oh my God, all these design school kids, they're being taught wrong. That's not what I want to see. So he started future soul and Future Soul was capped by the fact that it was only a Nike thing. And so Dwayne decided, you know, I've reached all my goals in the industry. I want to shape the next generation. So he left in 2011, the brand, like, everyone's dream job, creative director of Jordan Brand, right? Working on stuff with Michael Jordan, meeting with him every couple of months. How fucking cool would that be? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... um left and created pencil uh, footwear Academy and it's based in uh, Portland, downtown Portland. And now it's bigger than Nike. It's, they do stuff with Adidas, um, LA or, uh, what am I saying? Asics, a bunch of stuff. And now, um, he does consolidated courses. So it's like four week courses and a crash course in footwear design. So he has advanced classes, beginners classes, and is teaching kids that may not have the money to go to design school, how to do it, or kids that are at design school and want to do shoes how to do that. Um And Dwayne is my biggest mentor besides my dad and has really taught me, like I said, you are your own brand. Like you can fall in love with the company as much as you want that you're working for. But at the end of the day, they're a bottom line business. So you need to be your own brand. Right. And they're hiring you for your skills and recognize that. And also like, you don't need to talk about your abilities. If you're good enough, people talk about you. So like little pillars like that, that have really like as a young man, like really shaped me. And um so like, big shout out to Dwayne. I'll have to send him the link for this podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, Dude, you did
0: a good job. <laughs>
1: and so, um so he's done an amazing thing and it's, it's also too, he wanted to start teaching at um, design schools and stuff like that. And they said, no, you don't have a college degree. You don't have an industrial. That
0: is degree. nuts to me. That'd be like telling
1: Bill Gates, like, ah, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. he,
0: he never made it through. Co-
1: yeah. Right.
0: That, yeah, that's that's exactly. an argument. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so he's like, fuck it. I don't like your curriculum anyway. Like yeah. I'm going to make my own school and he's done it his own way. And now schools are starting to model like their footwear classes after Dwayne's, you know, curriculum. So it's pretty amazing what he's done. Um, he's partnered with some of the biggest design schools now because now they want him. So like art center, which is a big school in Pasadena. He's done classes with them. Parsons in New York. It's a big d- design school. So pretty amazing how far that, that program's coming about five years.
0: Disruption,
1: absolutely. There was
0: room in the market. Everybody was too rigid in their thinking, and he didn't care. Absolutely, he's like, "I'm gonna correct this. Yep, Your absolutely. party's over, folks." Yep. Man, that's awesome. So obviously, you get you got to go there, right? Yep. What. How long was it? What I'm just curious. Don't go bore people with the details. I don't know, but was a curriculum for someone like that? I don't even understand. Like,
1: yeah. Um. So Dwayne, it's really cool. Um. He has his building. Um. In in downtown Portland, and so every morning you have to be there, and so usually he'll break the group up into like three or four teams, and so um each week. So if it's a four week class, there's four groups. Um. Each group has for a week come in early at around eight a.m. Clean up. Clean the bathrooms, do everything before you get in there. Um, you have to be on time. Every minute you're late, it's fifteen push ups. So
0: oh, I love it. Accountability. Accountability. Yeah.
1: And so at the beginning of the class for about the first week, there's no sketching at all. And he um brought with him to pencil uh Suzette Henry, um, who's an amazing woman, strongest personality you'll ever meet in your life. Like Everyone bowed out, bows down to Suzette when she's in the room. It's pretty amazing. And so she was the materials person at Jordan, so specialized in, like, leathers, synthetics, everything like that. She was a developer. So he brought her over. And so you're learning not only just how to sketch shoes, but, like, how are they constructed, what materials, like, all of that stuff. And so you would get about a three- to four-day crash course in that before you even start sketching. Um, Dwayne shows you different examples of how to storytell through footwear design. So like the Air Jordan 21 and 22 that he did, i will take you through that process. Um, so that's pretty cool. You like learn from some of the most successful shoes in the industry. He'll bring in speakers. So if it's a sponsored Adidas class, he'll bring in some of the biggest design executives from Adidas and they'll talk about like their process, where they've been, um, every morning he starts starts off with a quote. So just like with your podcast, yeah. Dwayne's a big Bruce Lee guy. He loves Bruce Lee. Like there's, he has a book of Bruce Lee quotes. Um, so highly recommend people looking out for that. Um, but just gives you a quote for the day and kind of for the first hour, the whole class is sitting together, coffee, water in our hand, just talking to Dwayne about the industry. And it's just kind of a loose ended conversation. Um, and then, what points you need to be accountable for for the day. So it's pretty cool. And then from there you sketch and then you have to learn how to present at the end. Um, and it's really cool because he teaches you a we, not I mentality. So your group has to show up good. So if anybody in your group slacks, your whole group it's obvious. looks, looks yeah. like shit. So you learn how to work as a team because... We know any industry, any professional.
0: You're not getting anything done by yourself. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so, Dwayne teaches you that, like team accountability, not just, you know, and how as a person you need to be, need to be accountable because you're not letting down just yourself. You're how does he
0: feel life. about like getting into public education? Because this is exactly what people need in public schools, right? That's, I mean, come on.
1: That's his goal is to, he, he has no ceiling for this. Like, it can be applied anywhere. And his goal, he always says, if I mentor you, you need to mentor two more people. So at least, and so now my goal as I get into the industry is like, how do I bring as, bring up as many people with me? And that's not even, I've talked to Dwayne about it. It's not even just footwear mentorship. It's just successful mentorship.
0: Absolutely. Right. Accountability is a big, it took me a long time to figure out that my life wasn't going anywhere until I could be accountable. It's it's a stupid problem to have when it's so simple. Yeah. Look, look where you're at at 21. Yeah. Right. He totally molded you and had an effect mm-hmm. on you. Yeah. Man,
1: that's amazing. So, that's his curriculum is like basically just built on accountability and how to present yourself. Like the design is the design, but people buy into your personality. Um, a lot of people in any indi- at least in footwear, just speaking for footwear, they hire 80% personality, 20% skill. Cause, like, if you need to create a cohesive range, so if you need to create like a whole season's worth of something, the team has to work together. It has to be one vision. And so you can have the best skill set in the world, but you can be a pain in the ass to work with, and no one's going to want to work with you. Yes. So Dwayne tries to make you the best team player that you can be.
0: Well, yeah, you're not going to be successful if you can't convince other people to do the things you need them to do to Absolutely. be successful, right? Absolutely. That's one thing I want to go through. I'm, And obviously, I can tell. I love stories. I think that's why mm-hmm. this podcast is semi-successful. I don't want to say successful, so, but marginally successful it stories are interesting right yep there's a huge emphasis you go through your website storytelling through design you've mentioned it multiple times Mm -hmm. here though too from start to finish let's talk storytelling through design and i don't care how micro or macro you want to be whatever Mm -hmm. you want to talk about it because i'm fascinated by your perspective on this
1: yeah it's the I don't know. The reason I fell in love with shoes was the story. Like the reason kids fall in love with shoes today is because Steph Curry is that 6'2 person that's not big like LeBron James. They see themselves and they want to wear his footwear based on Steph's story. And that's that's what it's all about. People buy the why not the what. People buy what you're like why you're doing something not what it is. Like so if you're successful at pitching something people won't even need to hold the thing that you're pitching or look at the thing you're pitching. They're just going to fall in love with your story. And no matter what you show them, whether it's literally your own poop in your hand, they're going to buy into that. Right. They
0: buy the why, not the what. Yeah. And so there's a, right, there's man. a
1: really good Ted talk. I wish I remember who it was by, but they, they draw this three layer circle and they say, so for example, Dell. And it, so for the layers of the circle, it's uh what, how, and why. And so, or is it how what and why? The most important part is why at the end of the day. And so he looks at Dell, and so Dell tries to sell you what they're making. So if you remember like the MP3 era back at like 10 years ago, Dell for their or HP for their ads, they would show you the actual like MP3 player and would have like a tech breakdown of what it was and like people were like, "Eh." But Apple just showed you the black silhouette and then the the, the headphones going into it. You didn't even need to see the iPod. Yeah. And you bought it. You bought the lifestyle. You bought why Apple is they're, – they're trying to challenge the status quo, and that's why people love Apple product. Their, their commercials are super minimal. It's not like they're turning the phone around, being all techie with it. And that's like the biggest thing. Like, um, For me, storytelling is I'm selling you on why this shoe is going to make you better, why you want to buy this, why I made it, not what it is. It's a shoe everyone can you can go buy so many shoes right it's like when you're selling a house you're selling them on why they want to be here like why they need this house not it's a house like everyone knows what the what is right and that's the important part and i think people love great stories that's Hell yeah. We're, we're, yeah. what we've gone through five or six different stories here love stories you know it's not what it is like this is a podcast it's why you do the podcast and so that's I guess in a microcosm, like what I love about stories is I'm going to make you fall in love with that product, whatever it is, um, because you love the story, because you love the vision, you love the lifestyle I'm trying to sell you on, why it's going to make you better. Um, not so much what it is, because especially with shoes, like the reason Nike, Adidas and Under Armour are so good about selling a lot of their stuff is people have shoes. They have like, like, like for me, I'm a sneakerhead, right? I have like seventy pairs of shoes. I don't need to buy more shoes. Like I already, <laughs> but you're have, going to. I have enough. But I fall in love with the story, mm-hmm. right? Because I like I dig into why that shoe is what it is. Um, and like the reason, like I said, the reason I fell in love with shoes was seeing like Kobe Bryant win championships in his shoe, and like that's why I wanted it, not the fact that it's a shoe. Like you know, the difference between like a Nike, Adidas, and an Under Armour shoe isn't that isn't that big. It's like you buy that swoosh or that Jumpman or the three stripes or the Under Armour logo because you've you like align yourself with what that brand is. And so I think um, too often people just get just focused on like telling you what they're doing and not why they're doing it. Um, For example, Chad, Chad, my best friend that's on the Daily Group podcast with you. Um, Yeah, like what he's doing is he's doing real estate but when he tells you why he's doing it because of his dad's legacy, right. And like his brother, they have a vision of where they want to go and like why Chad does that because he's carrying on his dad's legacy. Sign me up for whatever house you're selling me, Chad. Like, yeah, Like I love that. Right. You know, he needs to talk
0: more about that. Yeah, I, think, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's the thing is he has a super strong story. Right. And that's like the amazing part about it. Um, and I think that's why people are going to buy different things is because of that. Um, You don't need to spend $700 more on an Apple product. You buy it because you see, like, their store display. You see, like, this lifestyle. And that's why. So I'm kind of going in circles, but.
0: No, that that, that, fucking my mind is what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm thinking all about the RDA podcast and how I could reframe. And, like, it's like while you're talking, I'm like, oh, he's, he's fucking right. Yeah. And then the thing that jumped into my mind, I don't know if this is right or not, but just jumped right into my mind was. When you're buying the product, you actually don't really care so much about the product, but you're buying a piece of the story, right? Yep, Something absolutely like, and that just clicked on me. And then I started thinking, how can I sell that? Yeah, so, you know, so I have yeah. what, what story can I create that somebody can buy a piece of and feel good yep. about it, right? Mm-hmm. And that also explains why well, you have seventy pairs of shoes. Yeah, you have seventy stories. Yep. Yeah, in your closet, just chilling and. Yep. Are you reluctant to sell or give away any of the stories sometimes? Uh,
1: not so much. I mean, the thing is I'd rather see that sh- – like, shoes are meant to be worn. I'm not a collector that, like, I'm going to buy a pair and then just stop. Like, put it in the box and in a storage unit and never wear it. Like, shoes are meant to be worn. So if I'm not wearing them, fuck it. Like, you can have them. Yeah. And so, like, I'd rather see them being worn, like, and have that person have great memories in that shoe, right? And so, like, that's the way – like, I attach great memories. So, like um, – there's certain shoes that I'll wear to a concert because like, Oh, I had a great time at this last concert. I'm a little superstitious as well. Like, um, so it's like, I had a, like, these are my concert shoes. And so when I look at that, I realize realized I've, I've had an amazing time in these shoes. And like, that's the fun part. Like when I look at that, it's like, Oh my God, like that takes me back to that place. And, you know, and that's, that's oh, like that stain on it. Right. Or like that piece of dog poop that I stepped in. Oh, I was having a great time in the park with my friends playing football. Like that's yeah. where it came from. Right. So that's, I'd rather have those shoes not be boxed up and then have that person wear them and attach new memories to that shoe.
0: Yeah, one of the good things about stories is we can all have them and we can all share them and we still have them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Share them with the shoes. That's pretty cool. So one of the things I was talking to Chad about that he um, wanted me to ask you about was the College of Creative Studies. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know it even existed until I went to your website and then I, I put it on the list of things to ask you about and then I had Chad review it. Yeah. Um, Because I just don't know enough about this stuff to to even. And he said, apparently this is like a really good school and it's right here in the city of Detroit. And you went there, right?
1: Yeah, I have one more semester left. So I'm about to our classes start next week. Um, It is the hidden gem in Detroit. Um, So it's located right behind the DIA. It's right in Midtown. So it's right apart it's like part of that cultural change that's happening in midtown, like all the hipsters and art scene that's going on. Um, if you go to like Red Bull house of art and Eastern market, I don't know if you've ever been, um, great art galleries. A lot of CCS stuff is on display there. Um, but it is one of the top design schools in the world. So it's, it's really specialized in, um, car design, obviously with the big three being there. That makes sense. Right. we, We have a lot of our school paid for by the big three. Um, when the new corvette model came out what was that two years ago gm auctioned off the like serial number the first car made of that and it went for like a million something dollars all of that went to ccs so um but if you guys don't know about it look it up also it's like michigan's a very conservative state so when kids are looking at their school choices like oh i'm gonna go to u of m i'm gonna go to michigan state i'm gonna go to central like there's and there's nothing wrong with that don't get me wrong but I see kids with like tons of artistic potential that we have advertising as a degree. So even if you're like not very good at drawing, it'll teach you how to like be like in marketing or advertising and like how to create those ads. So you become an art director, not just like another marketing specialist. You're the actual art director. Uh, there's graphic design, fine arts, anything, visual arts, there's there. Um, Shinola is actually based out of our school. So they're on, we have a, our secondary campus is uh, right off of Baltimore, right by where the Amtrak station is um, in Midtown. Um, and Man, that's,
0: a, that's a little shitty right there.
1: <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's,
0: improving. there. it's
1: improving. It's improving. I mean, the benefit of our school is like, we're kind of a sister school to Wayne State. So we fall under their like security jurisdiction. So it's actually pretty crazy. Midtown is like the safest place to be like in the state of Michigan because um, the Wayne State police This is actually cool. You guys can fact check. I mean, fact check this. Um, They go through the Detroit Police Academy, but then they get all of Wayne State's resources. So they don't have like shitty cars, shitty equipment. They're not underpaid. No matter what you call about, they will have two squad cars at the scene of whatever if your cat's stuck in a tree in 60 seconds. Damn. So if you're in Midtown at Hobcat, Jolly Pumpkin, and there's something happens, do not call the Detroit police. Call the Wayne State police. Um,
0: Hey, that's good. That's a good little tip right there. Just
1: for everyone that's in the area, call Wayne State Police. They're amazing. And so CCS falls under their jurisdiction. Um, But what's cool is like Shinola is based on the fifth floor of our Taubman building. So it's uh, used to be the uh, GM headquarters. So like uh, where they designed like the Corvettes and like the big, you know, uh, tail tail ended cars and stuff like that. That was all designed in that building. Um, and so they actually donated it to CCS. So CCS got it free of cost and now they've turned it into the design campus. And then the other campus behind the DIA is like the fine arts and the illustrations, um, and the, like those, uh, majors. So it's kind of split a little bit, but, um, it's an amazing school at the end of each school year, uh, in may, we have our student exhibition. So you get to see stuff all the way from product design. So like shoes, electronics, car design at, all the way to like fine arts paintings that you can buy, um, there. And it's a, it's pretty amazing. Um, so it's, it's an amazing school that like there's only 1500, 1500 of us that go there. Um, but we're creating that school is pumping out some of the most creative people in Detroit. And a lot of us now, instead of going to like LA or San Francisco to design or New York to design want to stay in the city. Um, and so there's some opportunities now that are hopefully going to pop up in, in the city of Detroit, uh, for that school to now, not send the resources elsewhere and keep it internally uh, in the city of Detroit. But some of the best problem solvers, like the designers of tomorrow for Apple, Microsoft, people that are, you know, the cars you'll be driving in 20 years, those are designed by kids from CCS. Um, our alumni, absolutely amazing. Um, basically, like a, a shit ton of the designers that are at the big three um, uh, here in Detroit. So GM, Ford, and Chrysler those cars that you're driving right now were probably designed some way or another by someone from CCS. So it's pretty crazy. Um, and no one knows about it. Like you said,
0: yeah, nobody, at least yeah. if you're outside, if you're not like, you're yeah. obviously obsessed about it. Right. Yeah. So if you're at the margins that you're like, Oh, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Right. So,
1: but that's, that's how design works. A lot of the time, like we're the people behind the curtain we're the mad scientists that are coming up with the stuff and, I'm not in it for the recognition. I just would, I would love to discreetly walk by someone on the sidewalk wearing my shoes or clothing or whatever and see them having a great time. And that's all I need. Um, I'm not, I don't need to be like the marketing person that's like in the commercial or, you know, I don't want that stuff. And that's kind of how CCS is, right? Like it's a great resource for Detroit and it's kind of very kind of under the radar. Little
0: hidden gem right in there. Um, so you worked for, um, you're interned with under armor adidas and nike so obviously that probably all kind of came from you won the yeah. the nike was it the nike future soul comp- competition right mm-hmm. um what did uh, the intern process at a at a uh, a shoe company or a fashion company mm-hmm. Um, what was that like and did, did you like it and what'd you learn from it?
1: Um, it's a pretty different process than everyone else. Um, our portfolio. So like our body of work, our designs, our sketches are what we get judged on. Um, so not our GPA, not how we did in class. I mean, still recruiters like to see that, but mostly if you have a good body of work, um, that's what they like to see. So when we're interviewing we're running through our designs, running through those stories, selling them on, you know, our projects and how we can implement that into a company. Not so much of if you're a business person, you know, like networking is like a big thing to where your your resume has like, you know, a lot of the stuff you've done. Right. And your GPA is like kind of how you get into different jobs, like designs a lot different. Um but our, like, these are big corporate companies. So you know, even though Nike is a shoe company, they have marketing, they have supply chain, they have procurement, they have uh, uh, merchandising, they have IT. Um, so all of these companies, you know, it's one big intern group. So at Nike this summer, we had 20 design interns and only three footwear design interns and then 185 total interns. So the company doesn't That's run competitive then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was 22,000 applicants. So we were literally less than the 1%. So it was a pretty cool thing to hear uh, from Mark Parker, the CEO, the first day of our internship. That was like pretty nuts. You had a $30 billion company like plus that um, to be less than 1% of the applicants that applied is like pretty nuts. Um, but it's, it's actually pretty crazy because I try to encourage people to that have a passion with sports or, you know, or shoe heads to apply to these companies because I've always thought of Nike or Adidas or whatever as like, like I said, Willy Wonka shoe factory. Like there's something going on behind the doors and the shoes come out off a tree and then they get (laughs) shipped and like, it just show up, but it's a massive company. Like the campus there in Beaverton, Oregon for Nike specifically is bigger than a college campus and they're doubling in size. Um, and so it's, you know, they need more IT people than they do shoe designers, right? Because it's all now how you interact with their webpage. They need, um, marketing people to go to the accounts like a Foot Locker in East Bay then to you know sell in the shoe to you know sell in 400,000 pairs to Foot Locker that then will get distributed you need a supply chain person to get the shoe from you know Hong Kong all the way to now Pennsylvania then to Foot Locker so it's um it's a pretty crazy process and shoe design is such a small part of the company even though like your design is what is driving the company there's so many more positions than footwear design. So there's 65, 70 footwear designers total at Nike and there's tenfold of that everywhere else in the company. So it's kind of crazy. And so it's been pretty cool to intern at all of these companies cause I've gotten a different perspective. So under armor when I was there before Steph Curry blew up, um, they were $3 billion. Now they're like five. Um, but they're like the underdog. They've, only been around since 1996. So I went there and they're still trying to learn stuff and, you know, get their shit together while I'm, you know, 19 years old. And I have no idea what the hell I'm doing at a corporation like this. I don't know how to navigate all that. So (laughs) I'm sure
0: you weren't the only one. (laughs) Yeah. So that that
1: was, that was kind of the strange part, but that was cool. And then I go to Adidas, which is like the second dog in the industry right now. Um, And so went there and they have, you know, they're actually the oldest sportswear company. They were started right after world war II. In Germany, they're a German based company and they have a US headquarters in Portland. So I went there and they were trying to figure out how to reinvent themselves as a brand. So it was kind of cool being there to like have all the history and lineage, but the company's struggling a little bit. So like, how do we reinvent ourselves? How do we tell that story? Struggle
0: is opportunity. Yeah. Too. That's a lot of people don't realize that. I always think it's so bad, but that's where yeah. all the shit really happens is in the struggle. Yeah. So
1: and then you, and then I go to Nike and they have, yeah, at that time, like 85% market share in basketball alone. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's, that's bigger than a monopoly. Right. And like that's domination, yeah. And so you, I got a taste of all three. And I think that's really important is, you know, I fell in love with Under Armour when when I was there and I fell in love with Adidas while I was there, but it was more of I need to experience everything. And I think people get hung up in college, like, oh, I want to spend one more summer at home or this and that. And it's like, you have no responsibilities most of the time in college where you're not tied down by someone. You're not, you don't, you're not paying rent like at a house usually like you don't own a house, you don't have kids. Like that's the time to just go out and explore. And that's what my parents told me, like go do what you need to do. You'll be home in three months anyway, when you're interning. Um, so like that's kind of the cool part is you get a crash course of the company. And um, I just tried to put myself in the best position. So I graduate in December um, to you know, get as big of a taste of the industry. I w- lived in Baltimore for three months, got to live in Portland, then got to live in a suburb of Portland. Uh, so I've traveled, and that's been really cool. And I've got paid to do it. And that's been the cool part of getting, yeah, that's pretty badass. getting paid to draw shoes. So I can't complain. And you
0: didn't have to kill anybody either. Yeah, right? exactly. So <laughs>
1: that's been uh, the cool part. And I think uh, it's been, you know, really cool. I mean, I bring up Chad again. It's like, since the Future Soul competition, it was, I was talking about uh, someone about this the other day when I was interviewing actually was, uh, they were like, you know, how do you see yourself mentoring? And I was like, I don't even see myself just mentoring just people that want to be in footwear design. It was like, I just love to come up for everyone. So like how with my friends, like before future soul, we just saw ourselves doing what our dads did. And it was like, that was it. And we were just going to, you know, live in Brighton for the rest of our lives do whatever, (laughs) and it was like ride
0: or die Brighton.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, realized, through that competition, life is so much bigger. And that like, just cause we're, you know, the average white kids from the city, like suburbs, that doesn't mean that we can't go to the big cities or, you know, there's, there's somewhat, there's like bigger than the Brighton bubble. And so like, uh it was cool. Like Chad then got super passionate and super, and he was like, okay, like, yeah, I can implement this. And then my other friend Curtis is now like super successful in supply chain. And then our, we have a friend Joey, that's two years younger than us. And, um, you know, kind of has a really cool story. He's worked his ass off from community college now to go to Michigan state. And he really didn't have that vision before like, you know, like all of us started to kind of have this. And like, that's been the coolest thing for me is like I said, to come up for all of us. And it's not even just footwear. It's like, okay, Chad, like, how are you going to dominate the real estate market? It's like, Curtis, how are you going to dominate supply chain? And it's like, Joey, like, how are you going to get to Michigan state? And that's been the really cool part is like, we've all done motivated. And like, in turn, like I look at Chad and it's like, Oh, Chad's doing this. Like I need to do this now. And like, Chad gave me this contact with you. And like, that's just super cool. Like not just focusing on yourself, but then how do you make everyone else around you? Cause you are who you hang around, right? Like you are who you surround. Yeah. Yourself the for. top
0: five people. it also sounds like you guys have like a informal or maybe it's more formal, like accountability group, right? Yeah, exactly. At least semi accountability. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Sounds yeah. like you're fucking off. Maybe you should do a little yeah. bit more, right? You're yeah.
1: Like, I love friendly competition. Yeah. Like I'd rather have someone be completely honest, to, like with me than just like sugarcoat it because you're not going to get anywhere sugarcoating anything. Um, and so like Chad will be honest with me sometimes like, like dude, like why would you turn down that interview? Go do that. Like you need to go do that. You know, you never know what can come from it. And it's like, okay, that's a good point. I need to go do that. And, um, you know, it's like Chad, why don't you just get in contact with that person? Like, who cares? Like an email is an email. Just like send it to him, Yeah. you know? And he's like, yeah, you know what? I should do that, right? And it's, and the the, the parts is I've really enjoyed. I got to live with Chad in uh, Harrison Township, um, you know, the bustling city that it is. <laughs> um, no offense to anybody from Harrison Township, but it was, uh, it is what it is. But, it's not uh, a bustling metropolis. Yeah. No, no. Um, but, you know, when you have nothing to do on a Friday night in Harrison Township, you find yourself sitting in the living room and Chad and I would stay up until like, You know two in the morning just like talking about like where we see ourselves 25 years from now and like that's why i'm in the shoe industry it's like shoes are just my tool for me to then get to where i want to be um and i don't even know where that is i just know i want to be successful and to look back and like say like i did it like the right way even if even if it was a crazy way and those are the conversations i really enjoy internally with our friend group is like chad thinks of chad's a totally different thinker than i am curtis is a totally different thinker than i am joey's totally different than all of us. And it's like, um, that's been the really cool part for me is like getting those perspectives and like challenging each other on that. And I think too often, like within friend groups, people get like too hurt by comments and stuff like that. And it's like, we've, we've literally grown up with each other. I've been friends with Curtis since kindergarten, Chad since like first grade, Joey since like fifth grade. Right. We all live next to each other. Like our families are basically families within themselves. And like, so we've, We're nothing but honest with each other. And like, that's been really cool. Is like, we're competitive with each other to a healthy, like, sometimes we need to be like, you know, it comes to blows a little bit. And then (laughs) we're like, dude, I'm so pissed at them talking, like, talking shit to the other friends. And we're like, dude, just talk to them. And then we have like our little interventions and then it's all good. Right.
0: Talking shit is an integral part of the male relationship, especially young.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, but I wouldn't be here without like my, immediate friend group and I, the, the dudes are like brothers to me. And I think that's important. Like people finding not even like-minded people, but people that are going to challenge you and they challenge me like so much. And like, that's been part of like probably the biggest reason I am where I like am today.
0: Yeah. I came to that pretty late in life and you can tell based on the results, like I can also verify it though too. Like yeah. if you're not surrounding yourself with people challenging you, your results are going to reflect that. Absolutely. Unfortunately or fortunately, um, I want to circle back around because I got so lost in the story that yeah. I remembered. So you said something right at the beginning where you were a semifinalist and your dad sat you down and go, because it was based on voting, and says, yeah. that's your responsibility. It's mm-hmm. your responsibility to get people to vote for you. That's your job yep. to get that done. Yep. Tell me a little bit more about that and a little bit more about your dad. Because that's a pretty... Yeah. That's a high-level perspective, yep. right? And, and yep. I would agree with it completely. Yep. But it's also in the extreme minority view, right? Yeah. Like everybody tends to think it's everybody else's job. Yeah, and he just said, no, fifteen or not, that is your job.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the more hats you can wear, the better the process is going to be for you. Instead of having it to hand it off, like you don't have to hand something off to someone else for them to like fuck it up or screw it up. Like I can do that. I'm going to do it, or you can get it. So far along, to where if you need to hand it off to someone, it's basically already there and they're not going to screw it up. Um, but my dad, uh, we, uh, not to like be a little plug right now, our family business is uh, Lewis Jewelers in Ann Arbor, right? On
0: plug stadium. away, plug away.
1: Yeah, it's on stadium, right? What's uh, the website? Uh, LewisJewelers.com. LewisJewelersInArbor.com, I think. Um, but official jeweler of U of M Athletics. Um, but my dad, growing up, incredibly artistically talented, and my it's a little story of my family. I've got like, it'll, it'll all make sense. But, um, my grandpa's like the real life Forrest Gump grew up in Alabama on the farm. Single mom had the maid, uh, grew up on the farm, um, put all the money he could towards a Greyhound bus ticket one way to Michigan.
0: <laughs> one way. That's and, only where I need to go.
1: Yep. Came up here and then sold carpet at Sears and like, is there all time leading salesman in, in sales? Uh, Holy shit! never took a lunch break. Because he was like, if people are on their lunch breaks, they're going to come here maybe to try and buy carpet. So everyone else, like, he'd like tell the other salesman, "Yeah, go take your lunch break. I'll be here." And <laughs> That's I'll say- savage it. as fuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> super blue collar though. And so raised all of my aunts and uncles that way. Um, and so my dad' first job right out of, or like right when he was fourteen, was like picking tomatoes at a farm like right outside Ann Arbor. Um, hate the smell of tomatoes till this day. Like, just can't stand it. Um, the only like tomatoes, tomato thing he'll eat is like pizza because you really can't even smell the sauce at that That's it. And it's covered by the cheese. You really don't have to see it. Anything else he hates. Um, it's kind of funny. Um, he's probably going to laugh when he hears that. But so my dad, uh, and my, so my uncles were raised really blue collar. And so what was the point of going to college back then in the, in the 70s when you could just go straight to the auto industry? Make your money, get the benefits, better than a teacher. Oh yeah, great, great salary. Like what Michigan was built on, that kind of then eventually kind of led to its demise in 2008 a little bit. Um, that and now Michigan's really reinventing itself, which is really really cool. But so my grandpa was like, "Why would you go to art school? Why would we spend that much money on, let alone private art school? Not even just like a public university." Um, and so there was no emphasis on my dad to do that. So my dad. Went to Eastern and funny enough met my mom at an art class at Eastern. My mom was taking it just to get the credit. She needed like one art credit. And Sounds like some
0: shit I would do. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so my dad was actually in it as a major and like another savage move, uh, would actually like, they had, they had like their circle of like a live drawing. So they have to like draw still life of like a you know, a bowl of fruit, like that whole stereotype each day, my dad would move himself closer to my mom slowly and steadily so it's kind of destiny that, you know, my parents went in an art class that I ended up going to art school. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, but my dad like stopped going to school when he was 19. Um, my sister was born, uh, with my mom. And so he just had to start working right out of the gate. Um, and then went into the jewelry business. So Fox's jewelry used to be really, really a big chain here in Michigan and started working there But uh, realized he could design the jewelry and sell it at the same time. So learned kind of both trades of that. And so my dad's not the stereotypical artist, but not the stereotypical salesman. Um, He sells you on like that artistic story, why the jewelry will look good on you, et cetera, et cetera. Later uh, in life, he stopped that, wanted to do his own business because we needed to redo our backyard, landscaping-wise. And then he was like, I don't need to pay anybody to do that. I'll do it, right? So another thing, like, I don't need anybody else to do that. I can do it myself did the backyard and we started having other families over and they were like, what company did this? Keith, like who did this? And my dad was like, I did it. And so everyone was like, Oh my God, that's awesome. So he started a landscaping business. Cause he was like, I can do it. I don't need to pay other people to do it. There's a market need for it. Um, Brighton where I'm from, like the community was starting to grow back then, like 2000, 2001 was really, really growing. And so there were a lot of expanding neighborhoods that needed that. And so dad found the market need, right. Just like with anything else and identified that and did it. Um, and now is back doing the jewelry business with my uncle at Lewis Jewelers in Ann Arbor. But it's cool because he does custom jewelry for the athletes. Uh, a lot of the time that come through or the, the doctors does custom wedding rings or whatever. Um, and is a salesman at the same time. So he does all the marketing and stuff for the company, but then also does all the custom design for it. So he wears both hats to where normally any other company would have two headcounts for that our store just, that's my dad. So that's how I've always been raised is to like, not be the stereotypical artist that was like in high school, like all emo or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: or what was me? Nobody understands my art, yeah, not responsible, yeah. for, you know, but, completely different.
1: Yeah. But then I also like was really into sports, but I wasn't the stereotypical like jock. Right. I didn't like, it wasn't like a meathead or anything by that. So like, having to wear both hats. And like, that's a big trend in my life is like, how do I wear multiple hats at the same time? Like, I know I'm wearing one right now, but, uh, no pun intended, but like, so that's my dad during that contest was like, why would you wait for people to vote on your stuff? Why don't you make them vote for it? And so it was like, he's like, there's no rule in there saying that you can't go campaign for yourself. And so that's what I've realized when you get into the industry and you're up there and you're pitching in front of executives that have a business mind you can't sell them on the artistic part of it. It's like, how is the shoe going to sell? How are we going to hit our numbers? What's the margins? All that. And I learned how to do that. So I learned how to be a business person along with how to be a designer. And then also like learned on how to make the shoes. Right. So then wearing all three hats of that. Um, And so I, for the most part, like don't need a hundred percent someone else to do, you know, other roles. I can kind of meet them halfway you know, learn how like their lingo, how they talk, like their verbiage, everything like that. And like learn how to navigate that instead of, you know, just being kind of lost and handing something over that can't be translated.
0: Yeah. It's like a warm handover, right? Instead yeah. of just here, I'm done. you yeah, turn, it. yeah. Right. It's like, yeah. yeah,
1: what are you thinking? How do yeah. you do? Okay. Yeah, I, you're I mean, that. as much as like I think we get trapped in like emails and looking at people as like elect- an electronic screen, people are people, you know, and you have to be able to talk to them like like they're a person, like you're sitting down at dinner with them, like having a nice cordial conversation. And so it's like when you walk over to hand something off to someone, it's not like, Hey, can you do this for me? It's get there five minutes early. Hey, like, Hey, how was your weekend? How you doing? Like, you know, how are the kids, you know, all that stuff, right? That's
0: savage right there.
1: Get there five
0: minutes early and warm them
1: up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. so by the time they're just like, like, Hey, so I remember you needed something, right? Like what was that? Yeah. Like, Hey, take your time on it, do whatever you need to do, but like this is what you need. And so that's how you develop the relationship. So then when it comes down to when you have a last minute request and it's like, you know, the 11th hour, that person's going to fight with you for it. Right. And like, instead of, Hey, I need this done. And you haven't talked to him in a week. Like that person would be like, fuck you. Like, I, yeah. like I'm not going to do that for you. Like I'm not staying after work. That's your problem.
0: Build an army of allies. Yeah. And yeah. so
1: that's the biggest thing too, is just like learning how to talk multiple languages. Um, not literally, but like how to talk to different types of people. You can't, Just assume everyone is like you, you have to have a level of empathy to be. And that's the biggest thing as a designer that I've learned is when I'm designing something for someone, I'm not designing it for myself. So it doesn't matter if I like it or not. I have to be able to take a step back, put myself in their shoes. So when we do like a lot of design research, it's like putting ourselves in that environment. So if we're at design school for designing kitchen appliances like we need to become a 45 year old mom with like three kids and we need like need to walk through her routine, do all that. So you really learn like the problems that person's having, what they like, what they don't like, and you learn how to talk to them and kind of navigate that.
0: Man, that's, that's fascinating. Man, you're lucky to have a dad, a dad like that. How do you, yeah. so does he still have the landscaping business? You pulled me in, man. You pulled yeah, me in. I got, to got to wrap no, it up now. He
1: doesn't, but he, for a select few people that still yeah. like to, uh, he left the, his business partner, um, but he there's uh, certain people that if they've gotten a new house and then they go to the landscaping business and figure out my dad's not there anymore, they find his contact, they get in touch with him, and they're like, I got a new house and I want this done. you know. And so my dad will still do that for a handful of people. Our family, our extended family still likes to use him for that. So like this Friday, my dad and I are going to go help out my cousin with some pavers in the backyard. My dad designed that. Chad was trying to list uh his place in Harrison Township and like needed some like quick tips on like bushes and stuff like that what plants to put there. My dad helped him out with that. So like my dad still finds ways to, you know, to do that. Um but for him it's just more of like for me it's like just the process of like looking at something, seeing a problem, how do we fix it and you know how do we make everyone happy with it?
0: Man, you're lucky to have that. Yep. Um learned how to present. To high level clients. Um, you kind of touched on it. Mm-hmm. This is something that people listening, I think will it'll really translate well. So, in the real estate business, as I'm sure you're aware, multiple people, just like anything, right? Just very similar to what you do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't have the money, you gotta go get the money. Sometimes you got you need the deal, you gotta go get the deal. Sometimes you have to convince somebody. There's, there's a, lot, a lot of moving parts, right? And where um, I was talking to one of my friends over Facebook, a lot of people don't have the confidence. This is something that came up where they're talking about confidence. And you brought up multiple times that your parents instilled confidence in you and, and all that. If you wouldn't mind elaborating on that specifically, because there's a friend in mine who specifically asked me about that. So,
1: Yeah. Um- Confidence for me, like, you wouldn't be where you were today if you weren't good enough, right? So, like, you're in the room for a reason. You're with whoever you need to get a favor from for a reason. They're also taking that time aside to, to talk to you. So they already are interested in whatever it is that you're offering. So you're there for a reason. Like, you know, you're at home plate. You've made it to the big leagues at that point. Um, so there's nothing to not be confident about. Um, that person sometimes is just as nervous as you are. You know, um, and just preparation like I never for a presentation write note cards or any of that stuff because most of the time I'm going to if I write all that stuff down, I'm overthinking it. I'm going to get nervous about it and then I'll forget a specific part of that note card and I'll just like it'll screw up my presentation. Like whatever's there is there. And like if you've worked hard enough at something, it's just a natural thing. And I think um a lot of the time people come off too rehearsed. And so like, it's, that's like a confidence thing. Right. And it's just, just be who you are. Like everyone has friends. You have friends for a reason. People like you, like, you know what I'm saying? So like, that's the the biggest thing for me is just like being a person. And so when you're presenting to the high level, high level clientele, I think it's another thing too, is like what I was talking about getting there five minutes early, like, you know, buttering that person up. So if you need to get a real estate deal done, if you have an hour with that person, spend 45 minutes talking to them about like, The game that was on last night or talking to them about like, Oh, like, Hey, I just noticed you pulled up in that car. Like, where'd you get that? And then that'll lead to like their passion for cars or something like that. Or, you know, the first time they got a speeding ticket when they were 16, they were dumb. And it just leads to like a laughing conversation. And then, you know, you, you start realizing, look at the clock. Okay. I have 15 minutes. Okay. Now it's the time. I have a natural segue to go into like what I need to do. I think people come in guns blazing too much and it's like, Right out of the gate, all right, here it is here's the deal or whatever and, and that can take people you know that can make them take a step back and I think just realizing everyone is a person and not so much a number figure or another contract or another client, they're a person and just imagine how you would want to be pitched as so it's like putting yourself in their shoes I think is, is basically what I'm trying to get at is you know if you would want someone to come get to know you. Right. I mean, that's the biggest thing is like when car dealerships are talking about themselves on TV, Oh, we're the family dealership, right? Like, you know, Oh, well you can bring your kids in. We have water for you guys. Like they try to make it an environment like in a warming environment. And that's the biggest thing is just making whoever you're pitching to really, really comfortable. Um, I think two people, if they forgot something to prepare for, they lead, this is a big pet peeve of mine. They lead their presentation with that. Like, Oh, sorry, guys. I was up till 6.45 this morning presenting for this, and I, I didn't have time to finish this, but this is what I got. Well, yeah. Leave that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: the thing, is most, they wouldn't no, know if you didn't tell, tell yeah, exactly. them. Exactly.
1: Yeah. 95% yeah. of the time, they wouldn't know. So, But there's a funny way to bring that up. Like, if there's an unprepared slide, and just be like, you know, there's like funny icebreakers on how to get through that stuff. Or if like your clicker doesn't work, like, there's like funny ways to do like I guess like shit, you know, like this doesn't work and like you can make people laugh and then you get people laughing, you feel more comfortable, right? Like, I don't know. It's just like how you putting yourself in the position of who you're pitching to. I think that'll make it a lot easier. Um, And then, like I said, if you have an hour with that person, don't spend the whole hour talking about what you need from them. Get to know them, catch up with them if you already know them. Um... Let them talk. People love talking about themselves. Like I've spent, what, 95% of this podcast talking and you've just been listening. So people love telling stories, right? People love bringing up other stuff. Um, most likely than not, someone's done, done something in the past two weeks that they've been excited about that they want to talk about. You know, so like there's always little benchmarks of like, you know, like, oh, like, how was your weekend? That's like a super easy segue oh, they went fishing, like, oh, I went fishing this, like, you know, this spot up in Traverse City, it was really, really cool, and they're like, oh, like, really, where in Traverse City did you go to, and then at least to, like, oh, the cabin you have up there, and like, oh, that's where, like, oh, I had a cabin right there, too, and it's like, you get, and then 45 minutes later, you're, like, having an amazing conversation, and they're buying your why, because you're a good person, not what you're doing. Buying
0: the why, again, and I love this point. Your weapon is a ballpoint pen. Yeah. Now I happen to be in the industry. I always have a pen, (laughs) right? Always. Right. Uh, this is my weapon, Mm -hmm. right? Talk to me about that.
1: Um, for me, my creative outlet is paper. Um, even in, uh, I use a, a Cintiq, which is like a tablet sometimes, uh, when I'm doing digital work and like there's a electronic pen, um, that's how I communicate my ideas the best is just throwing stuff down on paper, whether or not I'm writing or drawing or whatever. Like that's the best way for me to communicate my ideas. Um, people are like wowed by artists a lot of the time, too. So there's not that many people when you walk into a room that have the confidence to draw because they haven't been taught. Like I always tell people design school taught me how to draw. I never I wasn't born with being able to draw. You just it's 10,000 hours of work. So if you sketch enough, you'll be able to draw whatever you want. Um, but you know, it's a cool little icebreaker, cool little talent show thing of like, you know, if I'm trying to, another thing too, is if I'm talking to you and I'm having trouble describing something, or if you're understanding it, I can draw it out for you or, um, just throwing down little notes for people. Um, all of that stuff, like the, the pen is my weapon. And that's like, at the end of the day, whether or not I'm there to sell something, I still have to be able to communicate a thousand words through that picture. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that through my pen.
0: Damn, that's savage as fuck. And I think true. And I think more true every day, especially if it's more and more electronics. I just I just there's something, and to your point, the visual, I don't know. It mm-hmm. not everybody, but a large, large majority of people respond to visuals. I know I do. Yeah. So what does the future hold for Alan?
1: Um I don't know. I, I don't know what company I'm gonna end at end up at in January after I graduate. Um, but I know I want to be at a place where I can tell great stories, be a part of a brand that I believe in. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what's next for me is just creating dope shit, anything that I want. Um, and just believing in the product that I'm creating. And the moment that that doesn't happen, I need to check myself and go somewhere else or do something different, but always creating and problem solving. And that's like, that's the future for me is looking at a problem, um, rallying a team to fix that problem. Um, so I guess teamwork would be another one that's, that's in the future for me. Um, and so that's where I want to end up, whether it's my own business, someone else's business, I just want to be a part of something I believe in and fixing problems that I feel like and telling an authentic story, not a half big story.
0: Yeah. Authentic is good. So this next part, um, and it could be anything, I call it like success routines, habits, or books, podcasts, videos, anything really that has had a huge impact on you that you think would be helpful for other people?
1: Um, There's like, I guess like three things. Um, I love listening to music. And, uh, you know, like talk radio is good, podcasts are great. Um, But I think especially in the morning, like especially when you're stuck in traffic, you can become like very like relaxed and dull. And it's like, you need to think of each day as like game day. You need to get like hyped up. Mm. And so like I put on music that's going to wake me up. Like, so whether it's rap for someone, whether it's like death metal or it's like some country or whatever, a rock, like, I'm putting music on in the car. If I'm walking to work, I'm putting my headphones in and I'm treating it like it's a game day.
0: Like, What's your go-to shit, man. When you wake up in that morning, you're like, fuck this day. I don't want to do anything, but yeah. you know you have to perform. Uh, What's your go-to there's, shit?
1: There's some good Drake shit, um, that I really, really have been on. Like that's my constant, um, the older Kanye stuff, new Kanye stuff's all right. The older stuff, um, J Cole, I've really been on to, And then, uh, this new guy logic, uh, J. Cole and Logic do a really good way of telling a story, but it's not, like, two-spoken-word story. And so, like, it just gets me hyped up, right? Because they're talking about their struggles, and they come up, and it just gets me, like, super excited, and it puts me in a different place. So when I come into work, like, I'm ready to go, and I don't need, like, that warm-up period. Like, I'm not wasting time going to get coffee. Like, I'm, like, ready to go. Um, another thing, too, is uh I like my time to myself. And so we're in such a fast-paced world that I think people are always, like, if they – They feel weird if they have an open time slot in their schedule. And uh, I like my time to myself to decompress because like as much as I love what I do as work, and I'm sure you as well, I believe in the fact that you need time to turn that off and just decompress. So like whether it's me just like watching sports or whether it's me like watching like I love Shark Tank, I go home, I watch TV or if I just like, you know, listen to some music, I'm trying to decompress by myself. And just like not even think about what happened. And I'll think about that a couple days from then. And I think you need time to decompress. I think a lot of people make some like knee jerk reactions based on the fact that they haven't taken themselves away from the situation. Oh yeah,
0: for sure. Right.
1: Yeah. And so I think we don't decompress enough as people. And so I like my time to myself. Uh, people call it lazy. I don't think it's lazy. Like when you're doing nothing, like when you're doing nothing sometimes that's fine um, because you need breaks and you become more efficient. And also like, Um, another reason why the pen is my weapon is like, if I take myself away from a project for like two days there, I'll just be like randomly driving or something. And it's like, I look at something and it's like, Oh my God, like that could be applied to this. Like that's inspiration for me. And like, I wouldn't have got that if I would have tried to finish that project the two days before that. So just taking time to be a person at the end of the day. Um, and then also like try to find inspirations in places you would never think of. So like, Put yourself in like awkward situations. Um, my girlfriend's in dietetics, and the reason I love that is I know nothing about like nutrition or food, any of that stuff. Like I'm just I'm a bigger dude. I love eating, like all yeah. that stuff. Hell yeah! And so, um, like I'm a savage when it comes to food, I'll take down stuff and like. How do you
0: feel about barbecue?
1: I love barbecue.
0: All right, I have a value proposition yeah. for you okay. off air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I love anything. I'm not a picky eater. But until I started – before I started dating, I didn't know any of that stuff. But it's a field I know nothing about. So, like, when I get off of work, we start catching up at the end of the night, like – oh my God, like I'm finding out, I'm excited to hear what she has to talk about because it's something totally different, but it's changed my perspective in ways I wouldn't have thought. Um, my dad doing jewelry. I love calling my dad like, hey, what's going on in the jewelry business? Like what happened today? And I'm talking about something completely different than my realm of work. And I think that's really important because you need to become as well-rounded as possible. And then I guess lastly, like a fourth point kind of is, um, surrounding like our, coming back to our point surrounding yourself with people that are going to challenge you not like-minded people because yeah. like-minded people you become content you become a routine like there's a there's a lot of valued parts to having a routine but the more you can be on your toes the better i think and so like my best best friends in supply chain chad does real estate joey's at michigan state two years younger than me my girlfriend's in Food nutrition. My mom does jewelry sales. My dad does jewelry design. I have other friends that are really into politics. I'm like, and then I have my friends at school that do design, but they're totally interested in different parts of design, right? So it's like, I'm not with someone who I could like identify as like my twin, right? It's just, it's, and that's good to me because it keeps me on my toes. I always have my eyes open. Um And then also too, like, I guess like a, so fifth point, uh just like. Be a little bit more subdued, like behind the curtains a little bit, like don't come in guns blazing a lot of the time, like kind of ease your way into situations. And I found a lot of success with that to where I just, I make it like a natural relationship or a moment or whatever, instead of just coming in like, like a wrecking ball and literally like fucking shit up. You know, like so, um, like most of my life. Yeah. You know, you gotta like, you gotta ease your way into a lot of that stuff. So I guess those are some of the talking points to, I guess, my success a little bit.
0: Awesome. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't talk about? This is your opportunity. It could be Uh, anything.
1: I guess just like one point is uh, I think people, it's a conversation Chad and I have a lot, um, especially coming from Brighton is uh, people just see like, uh, my dad is really successful at this or my mom's really successful at this. And so I'm going to go to school and do that. Um, And then also there's a lot of um, parents that really get scared. And like that's that community of like, you know, that suburban mindset of like, Oh my God, your kid's going to go to art school. Like, what does that mean? Are they going to finger paint? Oh
0: yeah. That's like like failure, right? Oh great. Now he's going to smoke pot and play video games all day. Right. Yeah. My son's a loser. They cry.
1: And date and you know, uh, and uh, paint, you know, super abstract paintings that, you know, people (laughs) hate. And so like, you know, like that's not it at all. Um, and so like just having like an open mindset about things and do what you're passionate about. And, so like we, I've talked about with my friends, if like, they're passionate about sports. That doesn't mean they need to be a professional athlete. That doesn't mean that like sports ends for you the day you like hang up the pads or the helmet or whatever. Like if you're passionate about sports, there's like a sales part of sports. There's like training in sports. There's like, so just having an open mindset about what you're passionate about, it doesn't have to be like a side gig. And I think people too much like, okay, work is work. And then I'm going to go home and do what I'm passionate about. And I think that's like totally backwards. Like you should come home and decompress from what you're passionate about and be excited to go back the next day. You shouldn't be excited to go home a lot of the time. Granted, there's going to be days with no matter what you're doing, it's shitty and you have an hour's worth of traffic to get through and you're just like, oh my God, I never want to do this again. But, you know, just doing what you're passionate about and like worry about the money figures later, like that will always come. Like, you know, um, my parents have always told me that. And like now I realize it. Like I look, I got scared in high school and I was like, I want to go to art school, but like. Do people make money doing this, like what do they do, and now I realize like coming out of school I, I can make like sixty to seventy thousand dollars right out of school, like doing design i'm drawing shoes and I'm getting paid to do that like I got paid twenty five an hour this year at Nike to draw shoes. That was like amazing i didn't realize that was an opportunity, but the money came after I just you know put my head down and worked at it
0: dude that's awesome well, I want to thank my guest today, Alan, for his time and encourage you to check out what he's working on. So go to Alan Largen, L-A-L-L-E-N-L-A-R-G-I-N. Hit him up on facebook.com forward slash Alan Largen, and on Instagram, Alan P. Largen. And if you enjoy this podcast and find it helpful, do me a favor, subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it across all the social medias. And I really do appreciate it. And for everybody who has already done it, I know if I know you personally, I've reached out and said, thank you. And if I don't know you personally, I really do thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And it's how we're going to grow this podcast. If you have any comments, uh, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess, and that's also my Instagram handle at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess, and go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. I know I do it every week, and as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. Why are you listening to this podcast, right? It's just not to me or for Alan, just to hear us talk, right? You have some sort of goal in mind, something you're trying to accomplish or achieve. And I would say, why not now? What if you die tomorrow? What if you wake up in 40 years and your life has passed you by? Wouldn't that be a sad fucking thing to happen, right? So why not? Whatever it is you've been waiting on or procrastinating or you're afraid to do, why not go do it now? If you don't have anything, find something, pick a goal, stick with it, Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer, even if it's one step. I do want to thank you for listening. I know you could be doing a lot of different things right now, and I really appreciate your attention. Until the next podcast, crush it.